Today we continue our series this month on the key themes of the Reformation as we prepare to celebrate its 500th anniversary on the last Sunday of October, the 29th. What I'm loving about this series is that we get to really dive in on some of the core building blocks of our Christian faith. Last week we began the series with the tenet of grace alone, that God has chosen and claimed us not because of anything we've done, but rather through Christ. Today we turn to faith alone, the idea that this grace, this claiming of God in Christ, is realized and lived out by faith, not by good works. Our first reading laid out the theological foundation of this key tenet, that we are saved by faith and not works. Our second reading is from the book of Hebrews, and Hebrews speaks of faith uh, more than probably any other book in the New Testament, uh, if not in the entire Bible. In fact, in chapter 11 alone, the chapter that we'll be reading from, the word faith appears 24 times. The book of Hebrews has proved to be a complicated one for uh, pastors and others to label or to sum up. It's not really a story, uh, it's not a historical account, and it's not quite like the other letters and epistles we see in the New Testament. For a while, people thought it was written by Paul, and now most of us are certain it wasn't Paul. Personally, I like the way one scholar sums up Hebrews by saying it's essentially a sermon, albeit a pretty long-winded one, but a sermon nonetheless. The preacher is speaking to a group of first-century Jewish Christians, that is, Jews who have converted to Christianity. The focus of the sermon is essentially that Jesus Christ is the way, but it's also a pep talk to a persecuted people struggling to find their identity in Christ. I invite you now to listen with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, beginning with the first verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen, respected the warning and built an ark, to save his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith he received power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, 
because he considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born. And as many as the stars of heaven, and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Jumping ahead now to verse 39 and continuing to chapter 12. Yet all these, though they were commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not without us be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely, and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today we get to talk about faith. But it might be a slightly different way of talking about faith than we're normally accustomed to. Usually when we talk about faith, we talk about our own faith, our personal faith in God, what we believe, what we don't believe. Today we're talking about faith, about faithfulness, but it really isn't our faith we're talking about. It's the faith that God gives us, a gift of faith that makes us truly come alive and able to see God's grace that we might respond with gratitude. But before we can talk about faith, we have to talk about that word we heard in our first lesson, justification. Justification is a word Paul likes to use a lot, as he does in our first reading, and it essentially means how one is made right before God. How are we accepted by God? Is it by following a code or a law? Is it by doing good works? Paul says throughout his letters that we are justified, that we are made right before God, not by anything we do or by following a law, but through faith alone. Martin Luther, the the, uh, key reformer, said that the truth of the gospel is this, that our righteousness comes by faith alone without the works of the law. Works of love are not the ornament or perfection of faith, but faith itself is a gift of God, a work of God in our hearts which justifies us because it takes hold of Christ as the Savior. This was essential to Luther at the time of the Reformation because of the current church's practices of selling indulgences to buy yours or a loved one's way into heaven, or that any prescriptive action by a priest or church official could make you right with God. Instead, Luther reclaims Paul's theology of being saved by faith alone. But even this faith isn't a work of one's own doing. This itself is a gift of God. To put it short, you can't earn salvation. It's a gift of God. Faith, then, is the means by which we understand and realize God's grace. Luther was concerned, as was Paul, in a faith based on a law rather than a faith that is rooted in God. A colleague of mine said uh, to me this week that this is a faith based on reliance rather than compliance. Reliance on God rather than compliance to a law. What's at stake in this is what is the focus of our faith? Is it the law or is it God? Luther also says this, Human reason has the law as its object. 
It says to itself, this I have done, this I have not done. But faith in its proper function has no other object than Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was put to death for the sins of the world. Believing that we are saved, claimed, justified by grace through faith, friends, means that the object, the goal, the focal point of our faith is not a law, but rather our Lord, Jesus Christ. This kind of saving faith rooted in Christ leads us to see how we have fallen short, but encourages us to seek forgiveness and begin our new lives of faith. Through the lens of faith, the law is no longer a measuring stick telling us how far we come up short, but rather the law becomes a roadmap for how we can continue to grow into the people God calls us to be. And these acts of faithfulness are not done that we might earn our salvation, but rather done out of gratitude for the God who has claimed us by grace in Christ. I think our second lesson from Hebrews helps bring to life what this faith looks like when it's lived out. It begins with a beautiful yet concise definition of faith as assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But then the writer of Hebrews goes on to reflect how our ancestors have lived by faith and what that looks like. Frances Taylor Gench was my New Testament professor at Union Seminary, and she describes this part of Hebrews as the parade of faith. We heard about the faithfulness of Cain, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in our reading, but the writer goes on to talk about Moses and Rahab's faith. He mentions Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and all the prophets. Like I said, the guy was a pretty long-winded preacher. But the preacher goes on to, or he does this to explain how all of these faithful people still are but a glimpse of the ultimate faithfulness of God in Christ who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. But this parade of faithful ancestors isn't just decoration or setup. These fine folks function like a crowd of witnesses, a cloud of witnesses, rather, encouraging us and giving us strength to continue on in the journey of faith. Francis Taylor Gensch describes this as if we were in a relay race. We are running, we're trying to live the life of faith, but like so many, we get tired, we get worn out. And just as we are about to give up, we notice the enormous roaring cheer from the crowd in the stands. And as we look in the stands, we notice that it's all the faithful folks who have come before us, who finished their leg of the race, and are now cheering us on. Their witness empowers us to live this life of faith. Their endurance, their perseverance gives us hope. This hope that is rooted in Christ, who himself is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If our Galatians reading provided us with the theological framework for how we are saved by faith alone and not works, our second reading from Hebrews illustrates how this faith is lived out and what it does. Another reformer, John Calvin, who is the father of our reformed tradition in the Presbyterian church, talks about faith being both a matter of mind and heart. Faith is revealed to our minds by the hearing of God's word read and proclaimed, and we'll talk a lot more about this when we get to uh, the tenet of Scripture alone. But faith is also sealed upon our hearts by the work of the Holy Spirit. 
By mind and heart together, we are led to respond to the gospel with faith by the Holy Spirit. Living by faith means living a life, both mind and heart, in gratitude to God, of sharing Christ's love with others, not that we might earn our salvation, but rather as a way of giving thanks. We are able to do this because of the countless saints who have come before us, giving us a faithful example and witness. But ultimately, we can do this only because of God in Christ. Martin Luther's own life is a good example of what it looks like to live by faith. During his struggle to reform the church, he faced persecution and eventually even excommunication from the church. He later wrote that during his various trials and troubles in life, what he found most comforting was a ritual he adopted. Whenever he was frustrated or facing doubt, he would say, and others even have noted that he would sometimes shout, I am baptized. No, he says, I am baptized, not I was baptized, I am baptized. In other words, no matter what, I belong to God. No matter what, God has claimed me in Christ. This little phrase reminded him of his identity as a child of God and empowered him to live a life of faithfulness that is rooted in Christ. Living by faith means remembering who we are as children of God, baptized and claimed by God's love in Christ, and responding with gratitude. Friends, in Christ we are saved, we are claimed by grace alone through faith alone. We live the Christian life by faith alone, rooted in Christ who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. May we go and live by faith, following the great cloud of witnesses who have come before us, that we might proclaim Christ's love and peace to the brokenness of this world. To God alone be the glory. Amen.